Okay, we're back. Welcome to another National Preview Online podcast. I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to National Preview Online. Please follow our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash National Preview Online. Visit our website, nationalpreviewonline.com, and you can always email us at nationalpreviewonline at gmail.com. We also encourage you to join our Facebook group, Recall, Investigate, and Prosecute Governor Andrew Cuomo and Mayor Bill de Blasio for their incompetence in governing and for their putting at risk and in many cases causing the deaths, as is in the case of Andrew Cuomo, of many New Yorkers during the COVID-19 epidemic due to his mismanagement and forcing nursing homes to accept COVID-19 patients. In any event, that's been the hot topic on many of our shows um, since we've begun broadcasting our shows, which was only last month. Prior to that, almost everything we did was by way of uh, written articles published on our website. And we're going to be doing more of those again. Uh, And we also do a few short things on YouTube. But really, this is the way we like to communicate with our followers and with the audience. It gives us the time to delve into more deeply certain issues, uh, address issues that you want to hear. And it's also something that most people can assimilate and gain access to in a timely fashion, given that podcasts are really growing in leaps and bounds. And it's a convenient thing with the advent of Bluetooth and automobiles for many people to be able to listen and consume the information they want, unvarnished, without commercials, uh, without someone else putting things into it uh, that they don't want to hear, while they're on their daily commute, either on a train or in their car. When they're on the train, they can do it privately through headphones, and in the car, you have the Bluetooth in your speaker system. Anyway, it's Monday the 21st. Yesterday was the first day of fall. And uh, the big story in the news, of course, is who will be Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg replacement on the Supreme Court? Will that Supreme Court replacement be put on the court prior to the election? And who might it be uh, out of the list that Donald Trump has put together? These are all very interesting questions. But... um, there's something else very interesting. We have now a supposed dying request from the late justice that her replacement be be appointed by the man who will candidate who wins in November. Now, I personally think that's going to be Trump either way, but the Democrats are holding out hope that through corruption, through uh, mail-in voter fraud, which we've addressed before, that they can somehow undermine Trump's re-election and put this justice on the court. Quite frankly, I don't think that's going to happen. What I'm getting is a feeling that people are really getting fed up. Even here in the city of New York, the city of New York, in the borough of Brooklyn, where there have been so many protests of various kinds, a pro-Trump group led by a girl who's called the real Tina, you see her on Facebook all the time, went and protested. Well, they didn't protest. They 
demonstrated for a quiet, peaceful demonstration for Trump. And they even painted uh, messages on the sidewalk for our illustrious governor. And before I get to uh, my comments on Justice Ginsburg's potential replacement, I wanted to speak about this. Uh, I spoke about it a few shows back, I think the beginning of last week or the end of the week before. Governor Cuomo made a very stupid statement, as he is given to do quite often, uh, where he said that Trump can't come to New York. He can't come. He can't walk the streets in New York. He would need an army. You know, Governor, I would love to know who it is exactly that does your PR and feeds you information to try and keep in touch with the public, because you are clearly living in a bubble. If anyone needs an army to walk down the streets of the city of New York, it's you, my friend. It's you. You've got restaurant owners that are out for your blood. If I were you, I wouldn't even contemplate coming into the city of New York. I would travel incognito wherever I go, because I got news for you. If you were ever on the streets of the city of New York and within reach of any one of a number of restaurant owners, I seriously think you're at risk of being baseball batted to death. That's how much they despise you for what you've done to their businesses and how much the people despise you for what you've done to this state and to this city. You are not well liked, my friend, not well liked at all. So if I were you, I would stay up in Albany, secure, behind the gate in the mansion. I'd quarantine, you know, I'd quarantine, I'd shelter in place. Only you need to shelter in place, not from the COVID-19 virus. You need to shelter in place from your own constituents because you're one level above Benito Mussolini. At any point in time, you could wind up being hung up by your heels. So just stay in Albany. Take my advice. You'll live a lot longer that way. All right. Now that that's out of the way, the obligatory rap at the uh, benighted governor. The mayor is no better. He's another fool. But we're going to give him a pass today only because we have more important things to talk about. Ruth Bader Ginsburg's replacement. As I said before, I had respect for Judge Ginsburg, even though I didn't agree with her judicial philosophy, because she was old school, she was liberal, uh, but she didn't let her liberalism uh, interfere with her civility. Her closest friend on the court was the late Justice Antonin Scalia. They were very, very dear friends. They got along very well. They shared so many interests, the opera and everything. They spent a lot of time together, um, completely platonic. I'm not suggesting anything otherwise, but they really were very, very close friends. He really thought the world of her and she the world of him. And they didn't, either of them, uh, let the fact that he was a conservative and she was a liberal affect their friendship. That's the way it should be. Unfortunately, it's not that way anymore. Now, President Trump has supposedly narrowed his list down to about five people. But there are three people primarily who are being considered. One is Barbara Lagoa, who is currently sitting on the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals for the U.S. Court of Appeals. The second one is Amy Coney Barrett, She's a Notre Dame law professor who, a former Notre Dame law professor who currently sits on the seventh U.S. Court of Appeals. And then we have Judge Allison Jones, Allison Jones Rushing, I'm sorry, of the 
Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. All of these women are extremely bright and extremely qualified. Barbara Lagoa, as a matter of fact, in fact, the thing I'm, I, I want to point out, and I'm, I checked this before the show, all three of these women were appointed to the circuit court by President Donald Trump. And they all passed very easily. Barbara Lagoa received an 85 to 15 vote in the United States Senate. 85 to 15. Now, Harris did not vote. I think she just voted not present. Some of the people didn't vote. But um, she was given overwhelming approval, and the American Bar Association gave her a rating of well-qualified. And apparently that's their highest rating that they give anyone, well-qualified. Now, uh, Amy Coney Barrett is, like I said, the on the Seventh Circuit. She's a former Notre Dame law professor. Notre Dame, one of the most respected universities in this country. Their law school is a stellar law school. And she clerked for Judge Antonin Scalia. Uh, you also have Judge Allison Jones rushing, like I said, of the Fourth Circuit. I would say of the three, the two real main frontrunners are probably Lagoa and Barrett. Uh, Barrett is certainly conservative. I believe Allison Jones rushing is also very conservative. What she's got going for her her biggest uh, asset, she's a little shorter on judicial experience. Uh, and, and Judge Barrett doesn't have as, as extensive an experience as Lagoa, who served on the Florida uh, State Supreme Court as well. But she does have a lot of academic experience as a, as a Notre Dame law professor. And let's not kid ourselves. You don't have to have been a judge to sit in the Supreme Court. Ruth Bader Ginsburg was never a judge when she sat on the Supreme Court. And neither... Um, Neither was um, uh, Elena Kagan. She wasn't a justice either. And that didn't seem to stop um, Obama from appointing her. So that's really a non-issue. But you do want to get someone who's mostly qualified. But being 37 or 38 years old, she'll be on that court a long time. Look, any of these women is going to be on that court for a long time. These Supreme Court justices seem to live forever. So even at 52... I could easily see Lagoa having a 25-year run without difficulty, maybe more. Uh, Amy Coney Barrett is 48. She's got a 25 or 30-year run. And Allison Jones has potentially a 40-year run. So you don't know how long these people are going to last. Uh, what Lagoa has going for her, aside from having probably the most extensive uh, judicial record of all of the nominees that I just mentioned... She is a Cuban-American. Her parents escaped Castro. And she is from the state of Florida. So I think if the Trump campaign perceives that Florida is in jeopardy and that there's a possibility that he may lose it, uh, which I don't think is going to be the case, but if they perceive that, they probably would go with her as an added hedge against losing the state of Florida. And I find that interesting because the people are really wrapped up in this Florida issue because all people talked about in 2016 was that how Trump had a narrow path to the Oval Office and that he absolutely needed Florida. It was a must win for him and he could not win without Florida. And if you look at the electoral votes, he could have won without Florida because nobody was expecting him to win Pennsylvania 
Wisconsin, and Michigan. Now, I expected he would win Pennsylvania, but very few people expected he would win Wisconsin and Michigan. And the fact that Michigan had, I think, what, uh, 16 electoral votes, Wisconsin had 10, it pretty much almost canceled out the 29 votes that Florida um, had. But he got it anyway. And I think he's going to get it again. Now, Judge Barrett took a lot of heat during her confirmation process because she was pressed about her um, Roman Catholicism. But, you know, Lagoa is Cuban-American. She's also a Roman Catholic. So I don't know how quite how that's going to play out. But let's look at the arguments. They're making the argument that Trump shouldn't select her because the election is so close uh, in proximity in terms of time that we really should wait till after the election and let the will of the people be reflected in this choice and let whoever the people decide to make president make the next pick. Well, that's got a certain amount of merit to it. But um, how come that argument didn't have any merit when the Democrats elected to try and impeach the president earlier this year? Uh, who ever heard of impeaching a president in an election year? If he was that bad and he'd committed all these crimes that they allege, wouldn't the people just automatically vote him out in November? I could see trying to impeach someone in the first or second year if they did something, but impeaching him with less than 10 months to go before his election seems like a waste of taxpayer time and money, and it it seems like exactly what it was, a politically motivated attack. Having failed at everything else to try and get someone that they just didn't like out of office, they decided to try and impeach him. So the president is supposed to sit idly by while they impeach him in an election year, but yet he has to adhere to their demands not to appoint someone to a vacancy. Well, let me tell you something. I said this on Saturday when I made my brief observation about Ruth Bader Ginsburg's passing and potential replacements, and I'm going to say it again. If ever you need to fill a seat right away, this is it. We've got nothing but potential fraud coming in this election from the Democratic side with this ridiculous mail-in voting, which we have said over and over on this show and other experts have said over and over on television, radio, and elsewhere, and in um, academic papers, that mail-in voting is fraught with the risk of fraud and coercion. It's to be differentiated from an absentee ballot, which is a ballot which is requested by a specific person at a specific address, and it's sent to them. Mail-in voting is just a, a cumulative effect of mailing out ballots to anyone whose name appears on the voter rolls, and everyone knows these voter rolls are inaccurate. And so you risk sending multiple ballots to a same address with people who have lived there over the course of 20 or 30 years, but there's only one person living there now, and he or she is going to get all those ballots, and they're going to fill them out for the person they, they prefer. And this is fraud. There was a man prosecuted in Texas, according to Attorney General Barr, who filled out no less than 1,700 ballots for the candidate of his choice. And you can't have this type of thing. So I think that the Democrats are going to try, through the manipulation of postmarkings and dates, because every state's got a different rule. Some state um, states uh, 
make it plain that the ballots have to be postmarked by Election Day. Others say they must be received by Election Day. Um, If there's monkey business being played with the date of receipt, we have a problem. Uh, But I think that's more controllable because it's in the hands of the state. If there's monkey business being played with the postmark, that's a little more difficult because you never know who's postmarking what. And even in the states, if it's a red state, well, they'll probably keep it on the up and up. If it's a blue state, they'll do everything they can to try and get those ballots in. My biggest fear is that people are going to be sitting home. People are working for the George Soros type people or funded by George Soros. I'm going to be sitting home on election eve looking at the returns, seeing the great wave of Trump support that will be present as represented by people who actually show up at the polls on election day. And they're going to look at the vote totals and they're going to see how much he won specific states by. And then they're going to simply say, all right, let's get 20,000 votes in the mail to eclipse that 17,000 vote margin that Trump got in this state. Let's get another 50,000 in the mail to eclipse the margin in Florida and so forth and so on. So I worry about fraud. And I have a feeling that because of the immense fraud, and this is probably the strongest argument, I think, that's why I saved it for last, with the immense fraud that I think we may see in this election, because we've never had mail-in voting practiced on as wide a scale as is being proposed in this election. Somehow, for the second time in my lifetime, I think this election is going to wind up going to the Supreme Court for some type of determination on some legal issues relating to the legality of the, of the election and the legality and admissibility of certain votes. I really do. And it would be a shame if that issue went to the court and the court fell divided four and four with only eight justices leaving the question unanswered or giving an ambiguous answer. Because I think personally that plunging the country into anarchy over an election like that with no clear decision would be far worse than a decision, even if it was a bad decision. I think the people of the country deserve to have finality in their elections and they need to have confidence in a vote. And they need to have confidence in the outcome, which is why I, President Jimmy Carter, James Baker of the Reagan administration in a bipartisan commission. When I say I, I'm of the opinion I wasn't on the commission, but Carter and Baker headed the commission. They're the ones that said that this thing was fraught with with fraud and, and coercion and it shouldn't be undertaken. So I think we absolutely need to have that ninth justice on the Supreme Court to replace Justice Ginsburg, so that if the court is forced to weigh in on this issue to give closure to the election and closure to the American people and confidence in their government, we need nine justices on the court. And I do not think any of these women would be untrue to the Constitution of the United States. You have Lagoa, 52 years of age, Cuban-American, whose parents suffered under the repression and suppression of the Castro regime. She's certainly going to be for freedom and liberty. I think she can be relied on. 
And again, the ABA gave her a well-qualified rating when she went up for the 11th Circuit. Amy Coney Barrett, Notre Dame law professor, 7th Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals, clerked for Antonin Scalia, one of the greatest legal minds to ever sit on the court, well-qualified, passed easily on her um, Senate vote, eminently qualified for the Supreme Court, a straight arrow, no corruption there. Judge Allison Jones rushing of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit, also approved by the Senate, clerked for Neil Gorsuch, another straight arrow, no problem there. I think any of these women would be a fine addition to the Supreme Court. Now, I don't doubt the Democrats are going to have objections because they don't like the fact that they are conservative, but by no stretch of the imagination could they ever be deemed unqualified. And as Dianne Feinstein said many years ago, before she decided to get religion and oppose everything that Donald Trump did, she noted that the Constitution of the United States gives the President of the United States the authority to nominate who he or she wishes to the Supreme Court and, by extension, to any federal court. The Senate's role is to advise and consent. didn't say advise and object. It said advise and consent. And the reason why I chose that language is because, as Dianne Feinstein said at that time, absent a clear and convincing finding of the nominee being unfit for the bench, the president gets his pick. So, Dianne Feinstein, you and your cronies, the Kamala Harris's, the Amy Klobuchar's, the Bernie Sanders, I hold you to the standard you espoused back then when speaking about judges appointed by George W. Bush. I hold you to that standard, and I encourage you to hold your colleagues in the Senate to that standard. You and I both know that any three of these women would do very well on the Supreme Court, and there's no reason to turn them down on the merits. You just don't like the fact that they're being picked by Donald Trump and not by the people from Silicon Valley who are going to be running the country if Sleepy Joe gets elected because Sleepy Joe doesn't know where he is. But we know where we are. We are less than two months out from one of the most pivotal elections of my lifetime. I'm going to say the most pivotal election of my lifetime. And people always say that every four years. It becomes like a battle cry. But in this case, it is the literal truth. We see so much in the way of leftist anarchy, leftist organizations seeking to seriously undermine and forever paralyze this democracy and sending it to the ash heap of history if they ever gain power again. We absolutely need this justice on the Supreme Court now that in the event that Donald Trump, for whatever reason, either legitimately or through voter fraud, loses this election, that we have a bulwark, a six to three majority on the court that will stand for the Constitution. Amy Conan, uh, Coney Barrett, particularly, is an originalist and a strict constructionist, which is not surprising 
since she clerked for Scalia, and that was his philosophy. So, Diane Feinstein, I hold you to it. I'm going to be putting your feet to the fire. I'm going to be talking about you all the time on this show until we get this vote. And for those of you on the Republican side who keep sending me emails asking me for donations for your Senate races, I'm talking about you, Lindsey Graham, and you, Ted Cruz. Love to help you out. Give me your pledge that you're going to give Trump's nominee a vote on the committee and an up or down vote on the floor and that you're going to vote for them. And I'll send you a big fat check. For National Preview Online, I'm Jamie Dury.